what I teach is emotional intelligence. Because what I figured out over years of helping CEOs first to communicate internally, which is we're, we're the, the foundation of what actually happens when you communicate externally. We don't remember most of what we hear. We summarize it, we paraphrase it, we walk away with one or two things that we think we heard. Repeating the message over and over again, right? Seven I think times. I read yeah, I was gonna say I, I was just gonna say that seven times. Seven so times. Advertising. Time. Yeah. Um, and make your message be a broad, inclusive message. So no matter what role the person is in, they can regurgitate that message and that vision out. everyone. Thanks so much for joining us today on Scaling with People. I have Chuck Garcia on the line here, and he's a former Wall Streeter turned executive coach, motivational speaker, and a Columbia University faculty. His resume is phenomenal. I can't even speak enough about him, and I'd love to introduce you to Chuck. Chuck, welcome aboard. Well, thank you, Guinevere. A really pleasure to be here. So we're going to be talking about communication and really internal communication today. One of the things I find that so many CEOs and founders, not only at startups, but large organizations as well, struggle with is helping the employees understand where the company is, where they're going, and keep them a part of that roadmap. Can you tell me a little bit about what you do when you're coaching your executives about internal communication? Yeah, I think first, just to put this into context, as, as we think about all of the entrepreneurs that you work with, how did they get there? Many of them studied in school. They got particularly good at something. And when you think about the educational model, what did it promote? It promoted our capacity to cram information, to get an exam, and to regurgitate that information back so somebody could put a grade on it. And I state that because the educational model very much promotes the production and the use of the knowledge that you have gained for years. But I say that because it doesn't allow a lot of room for what you described. And what happens is very bright, capable people come up with an idea. The germ of the idea begins with some kind of passion, and they decided, I am going to build a company, a team, an organization around my idea. But when you ask, I would imagine, Guinevere, and I say this for the people that I coach, you ask them, what are the other skills? How did you come to this capacity that allows you to do what you do? And the majority of them, when they look at our brains between the left brain, which is the logical, the analytical side, and the right brain, which is really in control of communication, empathy, and collaboration, The majority of them have spent their educational time very much focused on the left brain capacity. This is the intellect, and this is a good thing. However, in the absence of being able to activate the right side, what do we have? And what I often talk about is you, the engineer, the entrepreneur, if you are solely focused on the left side, you are at half career capacity. That doesn't suggest that you're going to fail, that you're going to succeed. All I'm suggesting is you're not maximizing your ability. What you're describing is first having the mindset to open up and recognize that you can treat the right brain with the same rigor and discipline. And if you do, that you treat it consistently with how hard you worked at the hard skill that you developed in order to come up with what you have, only then do I find that the best leaders, and look at, 
Google, Microsoft, look at the great companies of the world. Look at them that get in front of Congress and they begin to communicate to a congressman and they're born engineers. What did they do? In order to achieve full career capacity, they activated the other side of their brain and they treated it with the same respect. So what happens is in the absence of working skillfully and diligently at improving the communication skills, especially in where it begins is internally with your employees, if you don't get that right, Ultimately, the miscommunication leads to mismatched expectations. What does that lead to? Resentment and contempt. Think about all the people that work at startups and you ask them, how was your experience? They'll tell you, well, it was okay. And they'll start speaking in these vague terms. What they're really saying, I had a bad boss. He, she wasn't a bad person, but they were not good at guiding they didn't speak the vision to us. They didn't help us to connect on a personal level as to why is it important to me? So that's where I find an answer to your question. I, it's a long-winded way of saying, what is the consequence of not getting that right? And you see it and I see it all the time. Frustration, contempt, and ultimately failure. And in the HR term, that's called employee disengagement. Indeed. <laughs> right? You have disengaged employees. And you've got two different types of disengagement. You have disengagement, which is like, you know, they don't understand, but they're kind of doing it. They're getting the check in off the boxes. They're getting the work done, but they're not really fully actively engaged with you. And then there's the actively disengaged. These are the people who are passionately unhappy no about doubt. where they work. They're actively the toxic, disengaged. Actively disengaged. They're the toxic people that, like, you know, when you think about a fruit tree, they're the they're the rotten fruit you don't want touching your other good fruit, right? No question. <laughs> well, the, so the, 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 the term we use for that is dysergy. So we look at the continuum between synergy and dysergy. And we think about how did how did the dysergy get created? I can't help but think that the entrepreneur should take accountability for the fact that it's in that organization. It starts at the top. The really good cultures, the bad cultures. And I think many of the entrepreneurs I've worked with, they like to point fingers. They didn't get it. They weren't listening. Okay, maybe. And maybe this is your opportunity to play the blame game. But what I find, the really good entrepreneurs take accountability and responsibility for what you do, and that's building the people. Because whatever the widgets are that you create, they usually get that right. They, they, they have all those tools available to them, and usually they're pretty good. doesn't mean they can't be built on, and usually they are. And then you figure out how to scale it. But if you don't treat your people well, oh, my God. And, and why don't they? Why don't they treat it with the same discipline? Because, yeah, I'll wing it. I'm smart. I'm good. I'm good with people. Yeah. Well, okay. Maybe you are. But there's there, there's a a science to it. And part of your, in addition to the communication, what I teach is emotional intelligence. Because what I figured out over years of helping CEOs first to communicate internally, which is we're, we're the, the foundation of what actually happens when you communicate externally. Now, what I found over seven years of doing this, the more that I can help the people you're describing get in touch with their inner selves, what are they good at? What are their biases? What are their blind spots? How do we help them to become self-aware that helps in the social awareness? Because what you're describing is the connection between the self and everyone else. And if in my, my mind and in my heart, I know what my vision is, but I fail to bridge the gap between the social aspect, the social engineering, 
how do I help leverage the 50 people that work with me? Can they all say the same thing I'm saying? Maybe not exactly in my words, and I wouldn't expect them to parrot it, but I do expect that any good entrepreneur can walk into a room with any one of its employees. And Mike Bloomberg did it with me. I worked in his organization for years. I was his 190th employee. Mike was so attuned at getting us prepared for being able to communicate his vision he could walk into a room with my colleagues, not just the best, but a lot of my colleagues. We were so in tune with the message because he was so good at conveying it to us. And he did it over and over again. And he did it in very simple tones. He said, explain it to me like a third grader, not to be condescending, but that we didn't have to work real hard at being able to communicate his vision. And I learned from that, from the master who turned his company into a juggernaut. And, and I think more people should follow that example. Stop worrying about all the little details and all the control that they want to have. Cede some of that control to an HR individual like you and get out of their way, allowing you to build your people skills. I love it. So repeating what I heard is really is repeating the message over and over again, right? Seven I think times. I read, yeah, I was going to say, I, I was just going to say that seven times. Seven so times. Advertising. Yeah. Um, and make it simple. Make it so that like it's a first grade or a third grade. You, you, you increased it, right? Like there was a reason why our, there was that game show. Are you smarter than a first grader, right? <laughs> like, like, so keeping it simple for people, no matter what they are. And I think that's where a lot of CEOs who are engineers, especially in the startup tech space, who don't like, you know, are so engineering brain that when they finally get to that point of having the back office, having the sales, right, the marketing, these are people who like, they're probably smart. They're really smart people, right? But they're not going to be, they're not going to be sitting down and coding with you and, and really understanding that you need to make your message be a broad, inclusive message. So no matter what role the person is in, they can regurgitate that message and that vision out. Yes, but I do want to add to that. There's also stylistically, there's something important. When we look at any leader in an organization, you think about what you hear. We don't remember most of what we hear. We summarize it. We paraphrase it. We walk away with one or two things that we think we heard. And then when you begin to reconcile it with what other people hear, you find out, oh, you heard something different. I know we said the same thing, yet we're so focused on the words I've worked with many CEOs, and when I've asked them, please communicate the vision. Here's what it is the people in the audience will hear. So, uh, you know, I mean, like, you know, there's nothing, well, I, you know, if I think about what it is, like, you know, that we've done, they lace their message with filler words and verbal crutches. And there are bigger problems in the world to solve than that. But think about the basis of leading by example. The very CEO or the founder that had a vision, it was not a clarity of thought. As far as any was concerned, what they're hearing is a mumbled, fumbled message. Now, that message to the founder may be very clear in his mind, but that's not where the synergy begins. It begins from the connection of the mind of whatever that idea is and ensuring that when you are broadcasting that message to everyone else, what they're hearing is clear and concise because the human mind is lazy. They're not going to pick up all these little things. And then also, if stylistically you speak in a very undisciplined manner, 
What the employees talk about at dinner with their husbands or wives, he's not disciplined, he's not clear, he's not concise. Now we're beginning to whittle away at the very credibility, trust, and respect that the CEO or the founder is trying to engender. You don't just engender it with your brilliance. You engender it with how you make them feel and leading by example that if you're clear and concise in your communication, people will rise up to that level of expectation if they admire it. They will walk 180 degrees in a different direction if they don't. So what I'm really suggesting here is the founders in spite of their brilliance, their education, whatever that is, it's all good and it's appreciated, but it's your past. There's something else that is expected here. The great organizations find the synergy through the leverage of other people all saying the same thing. And I think what I do for a living, I'm very grateful for that because many of them, if they haven't seen the light before, they at some point understand what is the consequence of not getting this right. High turnover, poor culture, people that are not engaged. And every entrepreneur, I think, should consider the consequences of what happens if I don't get clear, concise communication right. So I think you and I are kindred spirits on that. It's easy to say but it's much harder for somebody to buy in simply because they're competing for so many other things in their day. They tend to dismiss this. And it's like, yeah, well, it'll, it'll sort itself out. A hundred percent. And when you have so much on your plate, you're like, oh, I'll just wing it. And that's like the worst thing to do. And I, I even transparency, I've even done that myself. And I'm like, oh, I could have done so much better if I had actually put the energy, time and effort into making sure my communication is, is succinct and, and clear. Uh, I, I definitely, for me, prior lives of working for CEOs have, I have had the experience where every other word is an um, and I cringe and I can't hear anything else because they put in these fillers and I feel like um, they, and I just did it. See, I just put in an um, it's so natural to do. And yet it's not the, it's when you're listening to the person, you're like, please stop doing that. But, or you stop listening. Oh, you, you stop you, listening. <laughs> you're, you're, you're listening. You're, you got a Beatles tune in your head, anything, <laughs> anything but that. Because you've heard 20 ums and you're like, I'm done with that. Like, I can't hear it anymore. Guinevere, I had a CEO once on a videotape. We were preparing him for a shareholder meeting. And he's someone that I knew who knew me. He called me out of the blue. I hadn't expected to hear. And he told me what he wanted to do. He wanted to speak in front of the shareholders. Okay, no problem. Let's get you ready for it. And I hadn't seen him in a few years. I didn't quite remember his style. It's like, okay, I brought my videographer in. We hit the videotape. Within 15 minutes, he had 54 ums. 54. And, and, and the, the, the videographer didn't have much to do. So he took a pen and he just started marking every time the guy said an um. Now his name was Nick. I won't say his last name, but we rolled the tape back after 15 minutes and Nick saw himself finally for the first time. And in the first probably 10 to 15 seconds, what I saw was a face turning red. And he said, stop the tape. He said, oh my God. He looked at me. He said, Chuck, I am so embarrassed. That's me. That's what you're coaching? And he was a great guy, very capable, very smart, well-intentioned, good guy. He said, if I get in front of shareholders in the first minute, they're going to crush me. I'm, I'm going to lose any respect that I think I have made because I'm not used to this. I'm very uncomfortable in the discomfort of this venue. I'm very good internally, but in front of, and he was just new IPO. He, 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 he had to make a good impression. That was not negotiable. 
And yet he was so startled at his embarrassment and the shame that he had. It's like, oh, wow. Then he he got all the C-level guys trained, everybody. He just so bought into it when he saw the difference. And we heightened the contrast between all those verbal crutches and filler words. He also didn't know how to breathe. So he was just like, like letting, you know, like words out, you know what I'm saying? Like, no, take a deep breath and pause for dramatic effect. <laughs> it's really why I wrote my book is called The Climb to the Top. It, uh, the framework is the 10 commandments of great communicators. And two of them, two of the chapters, one of them is called The Power of the Pause. It's letting people understand that when you pause as the speaker, you are now giving yourself a second or two to reframe, to rethink what you're going to say next. But look at the benefit to the receiver of information. That same pause that is helping you as the speaker, you're now giving them time to absorb your message. The one, two, maybe even three, depending on how much it is you want to plant in the mind of the listener. Now, Nick, think about what you just did. You're maximizing that, their absorption. You're hitting a point. You're giving them the space to remember it. You're now coming to another point, and it's almost as if you're teaching them something, which you are, but you're also inspiring them with your tonality. So I state that because just two chapters are devoted to a simple thing like a pause, and then one chapter is devoted completely to filler word elimination, which I call speak with conviction. But it's really about clear, concise, every word matters, because they're not going to remember most of the words you say. So let's not give them a reason to remember all you did were verbal crutches. Oh my God, you must not speak with conviction. Well, and I also find too, when a CEO or whoever is speaking to a group has actually taken the time to prepare for it, has you know key items that they want to get across, is well communicate, communicates really well. Yeah. I, I actually have so much more respect because I feel like they're respecting my time yeah. and, and therefore, and they know what they're talking about. They're taking the time to communicate it in a way that people are going to understand and learn from it. I don't know. I just, my respect for the leader just goes up tenfold uh, versus yeah. someone who is sitting there winging it, hasn't really taken the time to make their communication skills be a little bit more sharper and just feels like you know, they're doing this because they're checking off a box that they have to do this as a leader. And it just well, is this think, genuine to me at times. And think about the way that you're describing it. You're not talking about technical competence. You're not talking about capability. You're talking about if this is the way that he did this, that's probably a good indication of his working habits. The other side of that, if he got up and he winged it and he was impetuous and he was impatient and he was umming and awing, you can assume the same thing. So this style, the stylistic consideration, the gravitas, the executive presence that they bring, what they talk about at the dinner table when they're talking about that founder is that, wow, I don't remember what he said, but God, he had a, <laughs> he had a way about him because right. what, what do they want? They want us to gravitate to them. And if you were to ask all the people in the audience, what did you get out of it? They may not agree with what the message is. But they can damn well agree, yeah, this guy's got it together. He is very passionate. This is a guy I want to invest in. 
That's what that's the call to action. If based upon what I've just seen, is this a someone I want to invest in? And if you can accomplish that, they know you haven't figured it out. We're all works in progress. We're just one big construction site. And that's how you built your business, just incrementally. But you did it because you built the credibility to get people behind your cause. That's what they do. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to give the impressions that build your credibility and trust and respect. I love that everyone was a construction site. <laughs> I'm going to steal that quote. Well, That's a great quote. All works in progress. And I think everyone needs to forgive themselves for not getting everything right. Just focus on the things you do well, seek control to others for the things that you don't do well, and just wrap your arms around the people that come in every day that help you to do what you do. I don't know. I just don't think it's that complicated, but human beings have an absolutely horrible way of complicating things. Oh my gosh. You're speaking my language right there. I always have to remind myself, am I making too much of a, a you know mountain out of this little anthill? Because I think I am. And then I start dissecting it. I'm like, yep, I am. <laughs> 100%. Um, well, wrapping up a little bit here. So one of the things I, I'm curious from your perspective, so many of the CEOs and founders I work with, they, they're, they're introverts, they're engineers, the yeah. communication is not their wheelhouse. What's one takeaway that they could start working on right now that you would recommend for them? What I would recommend, well, let me first state by, by way of my own experience that I give to my mistakes. I teach at Columbia University in the Graduate School of Engineering. I also teach occasionally in the School of Public Health, epidemiologists, biologists, different scientists. They are the description you just offered. For sure. I teach, I teach them a few things, and I teach a lot of seminar-style classes on different themes. The one takeaway I will say to everyone on this planet who cares about building a business, go buy the book by Dale Carnegie that was written in 1922 called How to Win Friends in 1936, or whatever it was, 1920s, How to Win Friends and Influence People. There, It was my career Bible. When I teach it in the, to the engineers, it, it's light bulbs flashing. Oh, my God. Now, this book has 30 chapters. And in my humble opinion, this is the best book on human behavior ever. All the psychology, all the textbooks, I don't dismiss their importance, but I do dismiss their value when it comes to trying to connect to your employees. How to Win Friends and Influence People is the best interpersonal toolkit. I've ever seen. I recommend as my takeaway, read it, strip it apart into small pieces. You are the engineer. You're used to tools. Treat everything, including one chapter totally devoted to getting somebody's name right. Something so simple because the consequence of getting it wrong, they remember, yeah, he's a good guy, but he didn't get my name right. And people get really irked by that. And I'm using that simply as an example. I think everyone should focus on the social engineering, the ability to collaborate well, to connect, to understand the importance of persuasion, as you do when you go in for your round of funding, you're persuading your private equity firm or your, your VCs, being creative, being adaptable, all of those things. And I, I will I want to add one other thing. If you look at the LinkedIn top 10 skill list. They have two. One of them is the hard skill list every year where blockchain technology 
artificial computer, artificial intelligence, cloud computing, they're up there. But if you consider the top five soft skills, these are the leadership competencies. And these are the words that appear on more job descriptions than any other on LinkedIn ads where, where people put in, companies put in their want ads, so to speak. Creativity is number one. Think about that, creativity. Number two is persuasion. That's every founder needs to persuade someone by me. Number three is collaboration. The companies are actually voicing their concern that we need you to be a good team player. Number four is adaptability. And number five is my favorite, it's emotional intelligence. EQ mm -hmm. has finally made it to the top five. If you took at the sum, just th think of that's the predicate. Think about what, what it is those five are communicating. Communication, that's what it is. It's how we show up. It's how we play with others. It's how we persuade. The creativity that we bring in the preparation that the presentation we give was something they've never seen before. This, this is my takeaway. Social engineering is as important as mechanical, chemical, electrical, computer, whatever that is. Social engineering may not get you rich like the richest people, Bill Gates. All those guys are computer people. I get it. But they also got very good at understanding the importance of building their HR teams, using their right brain. That's my biggest takeaway. Just read that book. Then give me a call. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm definitely going to read that book. I haven't read that one yet. So I appreciate that. Okay. Uh, Chuck, I appreciate your insight. Uh, I'm also going to be reading your Climb to the Top book because you. you've pulled out a couple different things that I definitely know I can continue to improve upon even for myself as well as to help the executives I interact with. So thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank so you I for hope you me. have a wonderful afternoon. Thanks everyone for joining us today.